Sarah Connors. We've had a lot happen in the last couple of weeks. Well, I was, I was about to say we're back a week or so later than we actually told you we were going to be after our last feminist fantacular, but we are back. Mm-hmm. And we have so much to talk three about. indie car races, two, one, two-ish Formula One races to talk about. We've got some women in motorsport. Ah, oh, we skipped Belgium. Eh, whatever. Belgium sucked. It doesn't matter. Belgium was definitely more interesting than Monza. That's a good point. That is a very good point. I mean, look, Monza didn't exactly set the bar spectacularly high. Monza was only exciting for me because I got to watch it while I was at a racetrack waiting to watch another race, which was pretty damn cool. Monza was an achievement for me because I actually managed to stay awake for the whole race. I don't know why it is that you can't stay awake during the exciting races, but you can manage to stay awake during the snooze fest that is Monza. I think it was because I decided I was, I was like making a point of the fact that I would see the race through. And then I was just like, wow, this was Why did I do this? Why did I do this to myself? Like, I just wasted an hour and a half of my life. Let's go get waffles. Ooh, that was a good idea. Yeah, look, waffles are always a good idea. Any time of the day, waffles is a good idea. Sarah Connors, last time we spoke, we started off, or we didn't start off, basically we talked about women in motorsports for a good hour. We laid out a whole bunch of stuff, and hopefully you listened to it and you learnt from it, and you were a little bit more educated. There was a sweet interview regular... at the end there. The... There was. Yep. And to be honest, though, if, you, if you've been sticking with us for what is now our 30th episode... Yay! <laughs> You've probably had a pretty good education before the last podcast, but we just cleaned up a few things for you. But Sarah Connors, we need to talk about women in motorsport, and I want to start with talking about our absolute favourite GP3 driver, and now the highest female points getter in this series ever. Tatiana Calderon! Tatiana Calderon. Woo! We're so pumped. I am always pumped for, to talk about Tatiana Calderon. Like, any time of the day. Granted, that highest points total is two. But we're not going to talk about that part. It's still really exciting. I mean, she's had two top ten finishes in this series, which is really great. One of them came this weekend. Um, yeah, it's really, really good. I'm, you know, happy about it. I think I saw a stat earlier today that in the last couple of... Um, Last couple of races, uh, Tatiana has gained, I think, she's climbed 27 yep, places. Which is pretty damn cool. There's an award for stuff like that in IndyCar. There is? Yeah, there's a there's an award. It's, I think it's the Tag Hero Award, where if you gain the most places during the season, you win prize money. Uh, I think currently Graham Rahal is leading it, and Connor Daly is in second by, like, three places, which is pretty amazing. See, I like that. But you know what I always, I always wonder with those things? Do you do the number based on I started in 20th and I finished in 10th, so that's 10 places, or I started in 20th but five cars died and I finished in 10th, so that's five places? No, because those those cars still fucked up and you gained an advantage because they fucked up, so you still get those places. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. But I, it was just, when I was thinking about it, I was like, ooh. No, no, it's the, the number of places that you improved during the race, so... Yeah, that's awesome. So she's, because Tatiana gained positions because other drivers messed up, but she still gained those positions by not involving herself in those crashes. <laughs> by not ending up in a wall. No, it's all good. So yeah, props to her. I mean, I think there's only a couple GP2 races left this season. Um, 
and we're excited to kind of see how she sees it through. And then, honestly, I'm excited for her for next year uh, because she won't I'm be a rookie fingers anymore. crossed, hope. Yeah. No, but fingers crossed, hoping she is still there next year. Like, I, I, I think she should. She will be. But GP3 is even more interchangeable than, than GP2 or F1. But, yeah, should be good. Um, you know, you see a lot of these guys improving a lot from their first to second seasons. Um, so it would be nice to see how she does in the same car next year, you know, knowing all the tracks now, knowing how the car works, you know, knowing what her competition is going to look like. Um, so, yeah, hopefully hopefully we see that next year. Yep. I think, I think to really assess a driver's talent in GP3, they need to have two seasons. You need to give them a season to get their idea of it. And then a season to really take a crack at it. And you see, you know, a lot of the people that win GP3 often win in their second season. You know, though, the, the talented ones. Yeah, it's the same thing least. with GP2. <laughs> the talented ones, at least. Yeah, same with GP2. Often takes a season to get... That being said, we may see, and we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but they've actually been talking about who potentially... GP2 looks like it's going to come down to Pierre Gasly and Antonio Giovinazzi this year. Gasly, I believe he's in his second or third year, and Giovinazzi being a rookie. And they were talking about who has won GP2 as a rookie. Three people have won GP2 as a rookie. Two of them now drive for Mercedes. Yeah, yeah I knew that. <laughs> and the other one is Nico Hulkenberg. Oh, dang. Well, there you go. So I guess that's a good sign that Antonio Giovinazzi might make it to F1. I mean, based on track record. Well, it's also, it, it's, an, it's an interesting thing. It's an interesting thing. I also feel like if you go back, I mean, what, Hulkenberg, Rosberg, and Hamilton came through GP2 anywhere between 6 to 10 years ago. I think the GP2 to F1 pipeline has shifted dramatically on what it looks like between then and now. Well, yeah, when it was was a new series, you know, you had a lot fewer people competing for those seats. And you also had... Well, I think it was also more that ten, six to ten years ago, the necessity to have money to make that jump was a lot different. So, it's interesting. You know, like, I mean, we talk about that nowadays. To be, you know, it was, it was quite interesting when you hear people talk about being in the Red Bull Drivers Academy and the Ferrari Drivers Academy, and we assume you don't need money to be in these because they're backed by the teams. But that's a falsity. So... It's interesting. You've got to be good and rich. Yes, which sucks. But speaking of women in motorsports and being rich or in this instance not, um, unfortunately we see Ayla Agron, who won't be racing uh, in the last races of the Mazda Road to Indy. I believe they're in uh, Laguna Seca this weekend. I don't know when she actually last raced. I know she didn't race in Toronto. Um... I think we may have missed her from other a couple of other races this season as well. Unfortunately, Agron's not in a position. Uh, so we're, we're talking about a driver that won the Formula 1600 as the first woman uh, to win one of these kind of like pathway races. She's racing Formula uh, 2000, which is USF 2000, which is the third, the lowest of three rungs on the Mazda yes, Road. Yes, it Indian. goes... Uh, yeah. I was like, what's the one in between Indy Lights and it? <laughs> Indy Lights, Pro Mazda, and then USF. 
yeah, Pro Mazda was the one I couldn't think of. So um, we won't be seeing Agron this weekend in Laguna Seca. We haven't seen her a bit this year purely from a money basis, which is shitty and unfortunate. Um, we were talking about this earlier, actually. I know you mentioned it on our last podcast. Disney made a really great movie in 2003 about... Uh, drag racing and a female drag racer called Erica Enders and her sister and I managed to find a copy of this online to stream and watch which firstly is an achievement in itself because we're talking about a Disney movie from 2003 but I watched this movie and there's this scene in the movie where she's come home from a race and I don't know if she was beaten or, or anything like that and her parents were clearly worrying about the financials of something and she was so angry because there were all these drivers who she had beaten over and over and over again who were driving cars with sponsors and things like that. And she didn't have any. And there's this scene in this movie where she's not quite yelling at her dad but, but yelling in general at her frustration that no one will sponsor her because she's a girl. And this is a 13-year-old movie at this point. And not saying that that's you know, like, what's happening here, but that's a pretty, like, it's not a long, uh, it's not a long bow to draw from this situation. No, it's really not. And you know what sucks, too, is that um, this is her second season in USF 2000. Um, she's currently sitting 11th in the championship out of, like, 26 cars. She finished 10th last year. If she had had the opportunity to run every race this year, imagine how much further up the field she would be at this point. Um, so that's super unfortunate. Like, you know, I had the chance to talk to her in St. Petersburg and she was really fantastic. Um, you know, super professional, super awesome, super focused. Uh, and I, you know, I really want to see her get that chance next year to, um, you know, do a full season, get the thing done. Because I think honestly, you know, she's spoken to the fact that she sees Catherine Legg and, and Danica Patrick as like role models and whatnot. Um, and it would be really cool to see her get to kind of follow in their footsteps and actually get into an IndyCar eventually. Um, you know, she's only 22, so she's got time. But, you know, it sucks to see her not be able to go to Laguna Seca. Completely agree with you. I, I was actually just trying to pull up what the what the standings were for it here. Um, just just to see, like, I, was, I wanted an accurate number of how many races she had missed. It was actually, it actually saddened me because I had been really looking forward to seeing her in, um, I'd been looking forward to seeing her in Toronto. And we saw, obviously, she, she wasn't able to, to come to Toronto this year. And... That made me sad because I, I, I had no, I was just about, I had been just about to tweet out how much I was looking forward to seeing her race. And then she was like, unfortunately, I won't be there this weekend. It's like, oh, well, uh, that's unfortunate. Yeah. So the only, the only races, <clears throat> the only races she missed were Toronto and Laguna Seca. But, you know, there were drivers that finished lower than her that didn't miss a single race. So. 10th or 11th is not terrible. No, it's really not. But, you know. You know, like, it would have been, it's, it's, it's an unfortunate situation. I think it's sad when anyone misses races. But I also like the fact that they add, like, like she's communicated. She's like, we missed this race because we, we, we didn't have the money. You know, like, we weren't in a situation to, to do that. Exactly. And you know what sucks is that right before, right before Toronto, she finished fourth at Road America. Like, she's a good driver. She's, you know, 
she's got the talent to be there. So I don't know. I was I was wondering what um what the what the financial implications of USF two thousand season uh look like. Like what what like how much how much does it cost? Because I I feel like I read an article about this at some point and it's like maybe a hundred thousand for the whole season. So, you know, it's manageable compared to some of the other series, but you know, if you don't have sponsorship, you don't have reliable, you know, funding, what are you gonna do? It's not um it's not cheap. Not at all. Alright, let's talk about IndyCar. I need to be less sad now. <laughs> so Sarah I was like, so Sarah Connors, we've talked about we've just thoroughly depressed ourselves. We have talking three IndyCar in recaps to get through, dude. We gotta do this. Sarah Connors, let's talk about Pokemon. Oh my god. The, okay. What is it? The greatest three corners in sport? It is the, gr- the the tricky triangle. The most yeah, yeah. Uh first of all, Pocono has had three major races this year get rained out. Two NASCAR races and the IndyCar race. Uh, They ended up running all three Sunday races on Monday, which it was really good that I could actually take that Monday off because we stayed for the race and it was great. So that's why Pocono was on the Monday and I remember being like, how is, how is, okay, nope, Sarah, Sarah's still there. I'm still there. Listen, I wouldn't miss this. I love Pocono. Um, Sorry, work. I can't come in. I'm still at a car race. I'm still in Pennsylvania. Sorry at, at everyone. Um, no, it was fantastic. I mean, Pocono always provides great racing. Like, they always go, you know, five or six wide down the front straight at least a couple times on restarts. Um, Ryan Hunter Ray had, like, the drive of his lifetime where I think he started from dead last or close to dead last, and he ended up finishing third. He would have finished higher than third, except his car died on the, like, 10th to last lap. And then he, like, drove it into the pit lane, and it restarted. So he was like, okay, cool, bye. Just going to drive through here and keep going. Yep. Um, Michaela Lishin came really close to getting his first win. Uh, unfortunately, Will Power's Penske Power is real good. Um, and he just came out of nowhere and won the race. Now, is that what the gift of Michaela Lotion doing this comes from? Doing what? I think I saw you you tweet a gift oh, yesterday, and doing I thumbs down. was Mikhail- I think that's yeah. actually from last weekend. Or maybe Texas. I don't think it's from Pocono. But yeah, Pocono was good. Pocono was not good. Pocono was actually devastatingly sad for me. Um, because at because some it was cold point, and well, rainy and miserable and you were in a yes, tent? Yes. Uh, we camped. We camped at Pocono. We camp at most of the places that we can camp, um, honestly. like Except for the city street races, we are usually in a tent somewhere. Um, which is fun. Until it torrentially downpours. Um, We were walking around the paddock on the Sunday afternoon around 2.30, which is about when the cars were supposed to be wheeled out, and the skies just opened up. And the race was supposed to start at 3.30, and there was absolutely no way they could get the track dry. Even if the rain stopped at 4, it would have pushed the race into being a night race, which I don't think they have the setup for that. So... It got postponed. We actually got to hide out in Dale Coyne's garage and learn a little bit about the cars, which was fun. Um, the next... Like, thanks for saving us. Yeah, they're, they're, rats they're super over here. great. Like, they're a great team. They're, they're kind of the smaller, one of the smaller teams on the grid, but um, they're fun because they always have to use a lot of strategy to get, you know, to successful positions at the finish, which they did at Watkins Glen, which we will get to in a minute. Um, 
but yeah, aside from that, Pocono was great. I did not really like the pit lane incident that happened about halfway through the race because Charlie Kimball can just go and leave as far as I'm concerned. Um, Charlie Kimball is not, is, is not made, Charlie Kimball has not endeared himself to the driving fraternity no, in no. the last couple of weeks. Did you hear weeks. what Will Power said about him? Kimball Kimball or that no one wanted to race him? No one likes racing Charlie Kimball because it's always going to end badly for whoever's involved, pretty much. Which, I mean, fair. So, well, to be honest, it, I didn't see him in Texas, but what can Glenn and Pocono? Yeah, what, the, what the hell? Um, so, in Pocono... I was watching that. I was like, "There is." You realize there's no space there, right? There's like, no there's space. no space. Yep, there's no, no space. And in a wall. You see this guy. You see the guy ahead of you coming out of his pit box, and your pit box isn't like until ten more down the row. So, what's your automatic thought? Not stay in the fast lane. Not let the guy get into the fast lane ahead of you because you're not actually fighting for position with him. But no, let's cut right into the slow lane in front of him so that you ruin all of their races. You ruin it. You ruin Rossi's race. I would never want to play race. chicken. I would never want to play chicken with Charlie no. Kimball. And you know what? The, the shitty part is his... Because you're going to lose. The shitty part is his every race time is fine. in multiple ways. He got ways. to keep going. Which, whatever. Whatever. I'm salty. I'm real glad Ryan Hunter ended up on the podium because he had the drive of his life. Um, it was real windy and Takuma Sato crashed on the first lap because I'm pretty sure the wind just like carried him into the wall, which was a little scary. Uh, and it was cold, which sucked. And that's basically how Pocono went. We woke up on Monday at like 6.30 in the morning because they were jet drying the track and I literally thought an airplane was going to land on our tent. Like, I thought that was what was happening. Like, an airplane was coming down. We were all going to die. We're like, you know what? If I'm going to have to go, I'm going to go in a tent in an IndyCar race. This is my legacy. It has been good. Thank you, world. <laughs> So, we saw Pocono. Uh, obviously, you went to Pocono and I watched Pocono. Um, then we jumped back to Texas uh, to make up the the last of... Uh, so, Texas, the race that they took, what, three attempts to finish over two months? Mm-hmm. Do you know that when Texas started, the Stanley Cup Finals hadn't even started yet? That was so long ago. Okay, actually, for me, that's that's a really good way to be like, that's how long ago it was, because I get that reference point. <laughs> so it was May. There you go. It was, well, it was early June. So I guess they had started, but the Penguins had not won the Cup. Yeah, because the Penguins won the Stanley Cup on, like, the 12th, I think, of June. Um, but yeah, so Texas Restart. And this Texas Restart was super interesting from a technical standpoint, because... How it worked originally was that it was supposed to be a Saturday night race, right? It was supposed to be Saturday night, the day before the Montreal Grand Prix in Canada. So we had all gone to a bar to watch it and just watched it get rained out, and that was fine. They moved it to the next day at, like, 3 p.m. So what do you do if you're switching from a nighttime to a day race? Well, you adjust, you know, all your specs on the car, because you've got to set up the car for a completely different temperature, completely different, you know, the way the tires and everything are going to react with the warm track versus it being at night with the track is a lot cooler. Um, so here you're, you've got all these cars that are set up for a midday race and it gets rained out again. Now, I'm not really sure why they were allowed to adjust the cars between the nighttime and the daytime. Probably because the race hadn't started, and since the race started in the, in the daytime, you can't really make these adjustments mid-race. So they froze all the cars, 
bring it to Texas again, like, two weeks ago. And it's a night race again. Um, it's also not June. So you've got, you've got a night race that started, you have a race that started as a night race that became a day race that didn't get finished, so it's now a night race. But you've got cars that were originally night race that became day race cars that have been frozen and now day race cars racing night races. That noise was my brain imploding. I think the main thing to take away from this is that if you saw the Texas race, you saw like how crazy the sparks the cars were throwing up were. Um, that's because they were a little bit too low to the ground, which is fine. I mean, whatever. It is what it is. It ended up, the end of the race was spe- like spectacular. Like Graham Rahal being hinged by like at eight thousandths of a second was like the closest IndyCar finish at TMS, the fifth closest finish ever in IndyCar, which is really cool. Until Hinch gets points taken away and like fined because his domed skids on the bottom of his car wore out too much because his car was too low to the ground. Like Which which led to the amazingly sassy hinch of Watkins Glen, but we'll get to that one. We next. will get to that one next. Um the rest of Texas was good. Um, obviously, Connor Daly and Joseph did not get to race because they had crashed by the time the race ended. But, but, they were on the Coventry team and they were, they were glorious. If they can't race the races, like, I am all for forcing IndyCar drivers to become members of the commentary and broadcast crew during races they can't participate in. Because, like... They can handle themselves. It's pretty great. Connor Daly was hilarious. He really was. He was he was pretty spectacular. I was like, you are so awkward, and I think you're great. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, Ed Carpenter had an interesting night. I always feel bad about Ed Carpenter's life because he only races on ovals, and he always manages to, like, turn it into a disaster. You know, he's on pace to finish top three, and he just... First, Scott Dixon kind of, like, noses into him, and Scott Dixon spins off and then gives gives Carpenter a double middle finger salute, which was fine. You know, it happens. Um, and then, you know, a couple laps later, Ed just completely loses control of his car, ends up in the wall, ruins his race. Just, oh, Ed, you tried, and now we don't, get, we don't get to watch you race until after the Bruins are done with their season. Because the Bruins are not making the playoffs. Sarah... You have so much sadness being both a Bruins fan at the moment and an Andretti fan. Listen, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Look, the Bruins season is kind of like, I'm sad because they suck, but we have at least won a Stanley Cup in the last, this in, that I remember. And it's like, and I, it, being an Andretti fan, fan is hard because we suck, but we did win the Indy 500. Exactly. I have things that I can cling to. And that will keep to. you going for quite a while. I have things that I can cling to to make myself happier. But it doesn't always work. Yeah, it's not quite like being a Leafs fan where you're shit and you've been shit since the 1960s. Yes. That's, I mean, that's different. That's a whole nother, like, it was, it was 4-1. Oh my god, my lifeblood is it was 4-1. I do that as many, as often and frequently as I possibly can. For those who, those who, minor digression, for those who don't know what we're talking about, Sarah is a Boston Bruins fan and covers the Bruins. Um, several years ago, the Bruins were in what? Game seven? Game seven, round one, 2013. And had they been up three games? Yes. Or no, just, no, they had They'd been up... Okay. Anyway, they're in game seven, right? And the, the, the Leafs are winning 4-1. 4-1. Four, 
one going into what the third period maybe that was 10 minutes to go something 10 minutes to go they're up 4-1 you can see where this story ends okay and if you actually google it there's some amazing videos because they had like several thousand people outdoors watching it and just their faces as the Bruins score and then score again and so suddenly it's 4-2 and then it's 4-3 and then it's 4-all and what they go to overtime they go to overtime and I want to say Patrice Bergeron scored because oh, yeah. that's have my you default not seen because that he's magical, legitimately. Have you not seen that magical picture? Oh, no, no, I have, but I have I have a Seroquel memory, so it's not great. Um, and Pat- Patrice Bergeron is also literally my favorite hockey player ever, so my assumption that he has done everything ever in the history of the Bruins is also incorrect, but occasionally accurate. So Patrice Bergeron scores the winner in overtime, and boom, there go the Leafs. And this is literally like the one time in like the last 10 years they've made the playoffs. Yep. And we ruined it. And <laughs> they ruined it, and it was majestic. But didn't you get like, did you get knocked out in the next round or the round after? Uh, we made it to the Stanley Cup finals that year and lost to the Blackhawks. Oh, that's right. You lost. Yeah, 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 yeah. That that was uh, which which you lost spectacularly. Yeah, too, but I don't, we don't we don't we don't talk about that. Nope, we don't talk about that. Uh, that that's that playoff series ended after we beat the Penguins. Like I don't want to talk about it. Um, it was four one was a really good time because I had gone and played hockey that day. Got home, it was four one. I was like, this fucking team does this to me a lot, and I can't deal with this. And then they scored, and then they scored again, and then they scored a third time. And then it was overtime, and I literally ran to a friend's house to watch overtime because I was like, I'm not going to deal with this by myself. I can't do it. I suspect I was at work because ice hockey starts at 9 a.m. in Australia, so you're generally always at work. So, back to talking about actual cars. Sarah, let's talk about what Yeah, like. Texas. Okay, wait, finishing Texas real quick, though. Um, Graham Rahal won, and apparently the winner's circle at Texas is literally just, like, a fire pit. Did you see the pictures of this? They give them, like, actual guns and a a 10-gallon hat and, like, surround them with fire, and the little confetti pieces are shaped like Texas. This is... It's magical. So, so Texas. Peak Texas. Like, it's so everything that I think that Texas is, despite never having been to Texas. But I believe good friend of the podcast and good girl Liz will confirm to us that this is Texas. Yeah, well, she was there. She got to be in Winter Circle. Ah. So, so that's how Texas rolls. Pretty Texas. Um, yeah, that was basically highlights of Texas. It was, it was good. It was a good time. Um, oh, yeah. So then Watkins Glen. Watkins Glen. Let's do Watkins Glen. It was so good. We drove out there on Thursday. Um, it rained, even though there was no rain in the forecast. I feel like there's a common thread here. Um, yeah, raining. me going to races, it rains. Everything is terrible. But the thing is, like, we looked at the forecast going out there, and we were like, oh, man, it's going to be sunny, and, like, in the 70s, it's going to be beautiful. Like, literally the most beautiful weather ever. You know, we're used to going to races where it's either literally freezing or, you know, so hot that I feel like I'm going to actually die. Uh, no rain, no, yeah, yeah, no rain anywhere near this forecast. And of course we roll in, we set up the tent and what happens? Torrential downpour for like three hours. I don't think I fell asleep until like 3.30 in the morning. So we roll out the next day. We make pancakes for breakfast because we actually bought a grill to bring to this campsite. Um, 
Yeah, man. And then we just like wandered around the, the track. You know, Watkins Glen is so historic. We were actually camping right by the S's, uh, which if you know your F1 history, you know that that's where Francois Severe died. Um, yeah, yeah. That was not where this story was. I thought this story was going. No, no. The S's uh, was a super dangerous part of the track in the 70s. Um, and he took it in the wrong gear and went off the road and crashed and died. Um, yeah, that's, sorry, that, that got real dark real quick. Um, <laughs> I was like, uh, but in like, next, next, we had been to Watkins Glen a couple times before, um, actually on our way from Detroit to Montreal, we actually stopped there to drive the track because you can do that on non-race days for like $20. You can just take your road car on the track and check it out. Um, so yeah, we walked around the track. We checked out turns one and two. There's a bunch of big grandstands there. There's a big hill coming out of pit lane that's pretty intense. Um, I think one of the NASCAR races, someone had a big go off there. Uh, so we wanted to check that out. Um, the main grandstand is pretty nice. You know, it right overlooks the pit lane. The height on the grandstand is pretty awesome. It's actually, we found out, like all the track workers had have worked there for like literally 100 years. Um, and they know all sorts of fun facts about the place. So it turns out that the main grandstand, um, since Watkins Glen is owned by the same people as Nazareth Raceway, um, when Nazareth closed, they actually moved that grandstand to Watkins Glen. Nazareth is in Pennsylvania. So it's, it's, it's pretty cool that that's like super historic. Uh, we didn't get all the way down to the boot because it was too far. Um, but yeah, yeah, we checked out the whole, most of the whole track and, um, yeah, it was cool. And then, you know, obviously practices happen. The Andretti's look like they're just going to be hot garbage on this track because they, they can't figure out how the red tires work. Everyone is kind of struggling with the reds. The blacks are actually a lot better for some reason. Um, you know, a couple of the teams had tested there, so they knew, you know, sort of what they were doing. Scott Dixon just blows everyone out of the water with times that are like seconds quicker than everyone on the whole thing. He takes the... Okay, he was nuts. It was batshit. Like, I, I don't understand. Um, there's one corner called the bus stop, which is, like, right after the S's, there's, like... The bus stop Yeah, Chicane? there's a little, like, divot where you go in, you go out. It's, um... Yeah, it's, it's right after the S's. Um, he would not hit any of the curbing going through there. Like, he literally took a line through there that was exactly on the pavement, and everyone else hit the curbs. Everyone else. Like, not a single other driver... Could, is this just a track? This is clearly just a track because now uh, Scott Dixon has won at Watkins Glen before. Yeah, so this is clearly a track that agrees with Scott Dixon. Yeah, clearly. This is it was pretty ridiculous. Um Yeah, so I don't know. We we watched qualifying the next day. Everything was good. Um actually on qualifying day too, we made friends with one of the there were a bunch of people since the track is so big and it's not an oval, so you can't really get around it very super quickly. Um, one of the track workers had like a little golf cart and gave us a ride around the whole track, just kind of pointing stuff out and explaining like, you know, the history of a lot of the campsites and like the different parts of the track and like stuff that had happened there. And it was just really cool. Um, you know, being at Watkins Glen in general, was just, you know, I, I, I love a lot of the IndyCar tracks and a lot of the F1 tracks I've been to, but none of them really have the, you know, the history that we know about. As Watkins Glen, you know? Look, as someone who doesn't know an awful lot about Watkins Glen's history, just looking at it, it was a, it, it looks like a beautiful race course, you know? Like, 
it makes me think of spa in a bit because it's in the there's so much like spa or austria or somewhere like that there's all the greenery and then there's the trees you know because a lot of these american racetracks even if they are you know in a paddock or somewhere like this they're very flat they're very turf you know that's that's what you see it doesn't have that 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 depth and tree tree aspect that the watkins glen looks like it has yeah that's definitely true like and it was also it was also really interesting watching Watkins Glen, listening to the drivers who are who are commentating or the people commentating talk about the track itself because you can really hear there's a really strong affection for the track. You know, it is one of their favourite places to race and they were all, you know, there was not a single mention of, oh, well, we were meant to be in Boston no. this weekend. Everyone was like, yay, Watkins Glen! You know, there were a number of people that upon finding out I'm from Boston were like, oh, we were supposed to be at your place, thanks for cancelling this weekend. And I was just kind of like, you know, as much as I can't even um, be as much as I would have liked to walk to Friday practice after work, which I could have done. I love this place, and I'm really not not upset about it at all. So, yeah, I feel like Watkins Glen is one of the places that should never come out of the schedule. It shouldn't be a place that you go to because somewhere cancelled. It should be a place you're at all yeah, the time. You know, honestly, they've signed the contract for two more years, and I hope it sticks. Um, they were not there. The last time they had raced there was 2010. So, yeah, it's good. It's good to have and it back. Scott Dixon won that too, yeah, I didn't think he? So, yeah. Um, it's him and Ryan Hunter Ray has won a couple times as well. But yeah, it was nuts. Um, the actual race itself, we watched the beginning of it from the pit lane, which was really cool. Like the little grandstand behind the pit lane. Uh, there were no super big incidents off the off the beginning. Aleshan spinned at one point, and his race was done, which was a little sad. Uh, and then, yeah, it was just kind of a typical road course race where, you know, there was some nonsense. And Look, the, my favorite part of Watkins Glen that related to uh, Mikhail Aleshan is obviously he span and, and they picked him up and they brought him back to the thing. And, and one of the pit lane people was like, you know, are you okay? And he was like... I'm Russian. Of I course know. I'm I fine. love how sassy he is. And I was just like, <laughs> yes. Thank, like, he was just like, he was like, how dare you ask me if I'm okay? I am You know, he's, he's honestly grown on me a whole lot. Um, I really enjoyed seeing him on the podium at Pocono because he brought his Russian flag up with him and was just, like, super pumped about it. So, Look, the guy, they, the time that guy wins and they, do, do they, they play anthems at IndyCar, right? Do they? No, okay. I just assumed because everyone else does. <laughs> no, hey, I like that. I'm all, all on board for that. Um, I, like, just imagine, like, if he was super Russian when he got second, just wait till he wins. Like, peak Russian, full Russian, like, happening. Yeah, I need this. I need this a lot. It's going to be a good time. It'll happen, too, because, I mean, he's talked about how much more comfortable he's gotten with the ovals. Which is really cool to have a guy come out of Europe and, and, oh wait, this sounds familiar, guy come out of Europe and suddenly be super comfortable on ovals. It's a real nice thing to have. Yes, except, except Mikhail Alishan has a chance to compete on more tracks other than just ovals. He does. But you know who else does? Someone not driving Listen. an Andretti? <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. Uh... Yes, you I do. do want to talk about you it. always want to talk about Alex Rossi. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. Let me just call you on your blatant yeah, lie. That was right that there. was kind of a lie. Um, a little, little little brag moment here. Uh, so we 
<laughs> my friend Catherine came over from England for this race. And so we don't usually do the autograph lines anymore because we, you know, have been to so many races at this point that I'm pretty sure... I've... Because you've got everyone's yeah, autographs I don't and need, they recognize I don't need you this. by now. I, yeah, so we went with her because, you know, we just wanted her to get whatever she wanted. Um, and she wanted to get a picture with Joseph, and that's fine. Um, so we... Oh, this picture, that picture is oh, amazing. it's adorable. It's seriously adorable. Um, so we get in line. We're going through. We get to Rossi, and he's just like do you guys have these things? And it was like hot lap rides in one of the pace cars. So we got to do, he gave us hot lap rides. Like he literally gave us little things for, did he just literally have them? And he was like, I guess all of the drivers had one to give away to someone. And he had two for some reason. I guess when you're the Indy 500 winner, you get to do that. Uh, Gave them to us. And like, we did it later that day and it was incredible. It was literally awesome. I'm assuming by now he'd be like, he's like, hi, Sarah. (laughs) Yeah, basically. You, what's up? <laughs> You're here again for the 900th time. What's up? Yeah, it's it's pretty fun. So what we do need to talk about in this race is Paul Tracy versus Marco oh. Andretti. So you oh, obviously didn't hear this the as burn. it happened because you were at the track. Yeah, but I saw the tweets. Um, But I was watching from home and I was a little bit delayed. So someone, uh, I saw it on my Twitter feed, someone... Uh, 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 D, D, Dinoza, Dinozio? Tony Dizino, Dizino. Dizino, yeah. I, 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 I was like, is this his real name or is this like the character from NCIS? Um, he said, he's just like, oh my God, did, did we just hear that? Like, did, did someone just say that? Um, and I was like, what, what, what? And it comes up. So basically, Paul Tracy has said uh, they were talking about silly season drive changing the rumor of maybe Marco Andretti going elsewhere. And his comment was literally the only drive that Marco Andretti is going to be able to get is with an Uber. Yeah. And I was like, did I just hear that right? And then I started laughing because like, like, I think you can be salty. That's salty. Like, yeah, that was so much like, oh, my God. Um. I was like, did you just say that on national television? Yeah. I wonder, and I think some of the drivers found out about it and were, like, tweeting about it and were a little like, um, okay. Look, it may be an accurate statement. But it's rude as hell. Was it, <laughs> that was what I was going to say. I was like, was it the most professional thing to say? You could say the exact same thing and be like, look, you know, I think the chances of Michael Andretti being picked up by another team are slim based on A, B, and C. Not like, no one picking him up his shit. Because that's basically what Paul Tracy said, just like with a better pun. Although I did appreciate the pun. And I did appreciate the sentiment. Oh yeah, I thought it was quite funny. I'm still super salty that like, I just, ah, nepotism. I just, I hate it. I, I hate that he's just not that good. And yet his teammates are struggling to find sponsorships. It's not even just Rossi. Like, Munoz is not guaranteed to drive for next year either, although they say they're working on a contract with him. Um, but yeah, I just, oh, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. When, the, when the driver who is, what, the, like, where is Marco Andretti in the standings at the moment? Let's see. I'm, I'm literally <laughs> waiting for it to he load on this screen here. He is probably last. Okay, Sarah Connors, without looking it up, I want you to take a guess. 22nd. 17. Dang. Wow. Okay. 
The only people lower than him that are gen that have a full-time drive. Oh no, uh, Takuma Sato. Yeah, Max Chilton. Wow, I didn't. Max I didn't Chilton. realize that. And who do you think is the poor person who is last of drivers with a regular drive? Is it the mediocre British guy? Oh, Jack Jack <laughs> Poor guy. AJ Foyt is not yeah. doing well this year, I guess. Yeah, so uh, Hawksworth is 20th, Tilton is 19th, Kumasato is 18th, and Andretti is 17th. After him, you basic, after that, you basically drop to drivers that have not raced all the races. So, like, Spencer Pickett, Gabby Chavez, kind of from there on. Ed, Ed Carpenter is 25th. That poor guy. Uh, <laughs> yep, Luca Filippi is after that. And then you basically just get down the to guys who drove the Indy 500 and NRC whatever the race... Yeah, 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 and RC Anderson who has done two who, races which don't have double points. Thanks, Indy Five Hundred. He's actually doing pretty well. He's got a nine and a nineteenth and a yeah, nine. yeah. It's not bad at all, honestly. Um, yeah, so, yeah. The rest of uh, Marco Andretti, not very good. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god, just ugh. definitely the last of the. Who, who else is driving for Andretti this year? We've got Alex Rossi who is in eleventh. Got Carlos Munoz who is in eighth. Um. Who Ryan Hunter-Ray, who is in 13th. Ryan Hunter-Ray, who is 13th. And then we bump bump down to Marco Andretti. Look, he did, he did finish in the top 10 twice this, twice this season. He's got a lot of 12th finishes. He's finished 12th, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 times this year. Including the last three races. He's finished 12th in the last three races in a row. I just... Uh, it's fine. I will, I will let my opinions on this... Just go. He's just consistently very mediocre. Yes. You know who's not consistently very mediocre? Simon Pagenaud? Yes, that is correct. <laughs> Man, I'm really proud because you could have gone anywhere <laughs> with that. <laughs> and I was like, I'm just going to hope that yeah, we're going I towards was, um... Simon Pagenaud. You know what? If, if we're moving on from what No, we're not. We, we got to talk about, about... We gotta okay, talk okay. about Scott Dixon's dominance a little more. Like... Holy and we need to talk about some hitchhiking. We also need to talk about hitchhiking. Um, Hinch ran out of gas. Which is the best there pun were, tweet hashtag ever. Yes. There were like six or seven drivers that by the end of that race were definitely on a fuel strategy. Like, hoping it would work out. And it worked out for everyone except James Hinchcliffe. Who was running... He which was basically running in summarizes third, James Hinchcliffe's life. <laughs> he was running in third place. Which, no, he was running in second. Because he was in second and Joseph was in third. Um, so Hinch was in second when my internet yeah, died. Yeah, so Hinch's car ran like, out of gas at turn, the turn we were sitting at, which was the turn before the finish line. So I think turn 11, maybe? So we saw him hit, turn the corner and his car slowed down. And at that point, we were all kind of headed for the podium. But um, yeah, it died. And then Sebastian Bourdais pulled up alongside him on the parade lap. And he hopped a ride. It was very reminiscent of um, Alonzo and Mark Webber in F1, or, I mean, I'm, it's, it's happened a few times in F1. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, my recent. reference point is both Webber and Alonzo's, because I believe they've both won, they've picked up each other, and obviously my knowledge is more modern F1, so I was like, hey, where have I seen this before? But I like the fact where he climbs in and then he, like, pats him on the head, and it's like, we're good to go! But then you see him, and then you see other cars coming around him, and I'm like, this is, like... This actually makes me really uncomfortable, really nervous right now. Um, 
But yeah, that was cute. Once he was all loaded up and ready to go and, you know, was not just a dude standing on the track. I didn't forget you. I didn't forget you, James. I didn't forget you. <laughs> I came back for you. Um, but yeah, that race finished. Dixon, Newgarden, Castro Neves. Helio brought his daughter up onto the podium and I was just like losing my mind. It was adorable. But yeah, the only other story I have about Watkins Glen is that uh, my vague disdain for Sebastian Bourdais is completely gone now because at our campsite, we ended up accidentally camping next to one of his mechanics. So wait, the IndyCar mechanics camp? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, dude, this is IndyCar, this is not F1. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 I know, but I yeah. was like, do they have a Yeah, he has an RV. Like, like... He had an RV. He and his wife uh, were camped out in our campground. We were literally the only ones with just a tent. Um, so everyone saw us and they were like, you're all just sleeping in that? And we were like, yeah, we're here for a race. We're not here for like some glitzy, you know, camping experience. Like, do we no. look like people that can afford an RV? No, we were, do, does this car look like it could pull a little, like, anything? No, it doesn't. But what happened was... We are a bunch of 20-year-olds with... <laughs> Come on. Um, I had forgotten to bring the largest blanket I had been planning to bring. And it got down into the 40s at night. Which is, like, pretty cold. Um, yeah, I don't yeah, know what yeah, it is in Celsius, yeah. but it's, I mean, 32 It's single digits. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's... It's chilly. Like, high single digits. Yes. it's, you don't want to be outside without a lot of layers on, um, if you're trying to sleep. So, the first night, we brought an air mattress, so that was fine. Um, I was really cold, because the two of them had sleeping bags, and I just had, like, two little thin blankets. Um, and I got up, and we made coffee, and... Have you learned the lesson of bringing a sleeping bag now? Well, no, the point was I was going to bring a comforter and I left the comforter on my front stairs and forgot to bring it with us. Like, I literally, I fucked up. Like, straight up, I fucked up. Um, so I went around the corner to the RV next to us because I was like, well, we brought an electric kettle. Let's see if they'll let us heat it up so that we can make coffee. And it turns out they had the little KVSH racing golf cart parked at their RV and I was just like, oh, I don't know what this means, but I'm going to see if they'll let us use their outlet. So they did. Um, not only did they do that, but they let us run an extension cord from their RV to our campsite. Um, they brought us cookies. And they brought us extra blankets. They were like, oh, we heard you complaining about being cold last night. Did you guys not bring enough blankets? And I was like, yeah, I accidentally left them on my front porch when we like pulled out of there to come here. And she came out of the motorhome with, like, a giant duvet and, like, two other blankets and was like, oh, we're not using these. You can have them if you want for the weekend. And I was just like, I'm never trash-talking Sebastian Bourdais again because his team is delightful. Yeah. I, like, so why do you like me? Well, one of your mechanic's wives gave me blankets. Oh, okay, yes, we're yeah, cool. That's fine. <laughs> like... The reasons yeah. I have to like some Look, of the... we have been fans of things for right. sillier reasons before say, in our lives. I was going to say, the reason I like so many of the teams in IndyCar are for such arbitrary reasons. I It's it's kind of ridiculous and kind of great. Like, peak IndyCar. Um, they were so... They were so nice. They were, they were really awesome. And, like, all the cookies they brought us were British. Like, they were very British. Like, they did. 
she because we made tea at night and she was like, oh, I brought you some biscuits. <laughs> and then you were like, these like, don't um, look like... The, every time someone's like, oh, biscuits and gravy. I'm like, why would you put gravy with this is not the same no, thing we're we talking about? No, we are not talking about, about the same thing. But Catherine... Catherine we're definitely talking about different Catherine things. lost her mind because she was like, tea and biscuits, it's like being at home. And I was like, well... This yep. is America, but yep. I'm not going to complain. We would do the same thing. <laughs> yep. Milk and biscuits. Oh, I love milk yeah. and biscuits. Cookies, damn it. Anyway, it was good. Actually, no, that's the thing. That's it. If you were having tea, it's tea and biscuits. But if you served the exact same biscuits with milk, I would call it a cookie. The biscuit didn't change. It's just what I was drinking with changed what I would call okay, it. Okay, that's weird. I, I mean, I get yeah, it. I know. But... I'm sorry, I come from Australia. Like, that whole fucking country yeah. is weird. We do what we want, because we're Australia. I mean, do you, have to, do you know how many times I have to remember not to call flip-flops thongs? Yes. Because you were like, oh, I forgot my thongs. And they're like, what? I'm like, flip-flops! Flip-flops! Or what we call erasers? We call them rubbers. Oh, miss, I need some rubbers. Doesn't no, mean the same thing no. in Australia. Oh, my God, No. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so you don't think that. Then you come here and they're like, excuse me, what? You're like, oh, that doesn't mean what I think it means, does it? Nope, nope. So good. So, Pocono, Texas, Watkins Glen. IndyCar is great. We should probably talk. IndyCar is great. There is one race left in the season. It is in Sonoma next weekend. Yes, a week from now. Sonoma next weekend. It's for double oh points. My God. You should watch it. Yes, uh, but the look of it, Simon Paginot is probably going to win his first championship. And hey, guess what? Guess whose home race it is? First championship? Yes, it's championship. It's Alex it Rossi's home race because he's from California. Hell yeah, Northern California. Boom. It's going to be good. They're already like doing all sorts of promo stuff with him, and I'm just delighted by all I that. Look, I saw a video of him this week at IMS in a Red Bull fighter jet doing like the Sheka <laughs> the... Speaking of the Sheka, let's talk about Monza. Yeah, I guess we could do that. Do you know where I watched Monza from? I gotta tell this. A grandstand at Watkins not, Glen on a big not screen? Not even a grandstand. So, 6.30 in the morning on race day. We're planning to get up at like 6.45 so we can shower and like make our way over to, you know, stuff going on. There's morning practice was at like 10, so we figured we'd walk around the paddock. One of the fun things about IndyCar is that I really enjoy getting there super early in the morning to watch them pull the cars out of the trailers. Because they store them in like the top of a, um, just like a truck. And they, they keep them there for the night because the garages are so temporary. Um, it's just safer to keep them in there. So, we're planning to get up at 6.45. 6.30, the speaker in our campsite, which is connected to the sound system of the whole track, starts blaring the end of the GP2 race. Norman Nato, blah, 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 like Antonio Giovinazzi, like doing stuff. And I was just like, what? Is someone in our campsite listening to the GP2 race? Because if so, I need to go make friends with them immediately. Uh, no, it was the entire track just blasting the end of the GP2 race. So they then proceeded. You know what would have been funnier, to be honest? I would have, like, laughed myself. Because when you said that, you were like, we got woken up by the GP2 race. And I was like, well, thankfully that by that point, Mitch Evans had already been kicked out of the race, so you weren't woken up by that. But I'm just envisioning your rage of the first thing you had heard right. on Sunday. <laughs> like, you were like, I, I can just imagine you, like, opening the front of your tent and being why? like, why? 
is happening? Oh my god. I have been awoken. From my slumber, I'm gonna murder someone. Yeah, oh my god, I cannot believe <laughs> I'm really glad that- I'm sorry, but well, I, I would pay to see someone do that to you just for the reaction. Cause it would be amazing. The tent zips open and I, my face emerges with like flames shooting out of my eyeballs. Like, why would you do this? It's like, you know, it would be like one of the velociraptors from the Jurassic Park movies. <laughs> yes, exactly. Just like, <laughs> yep, my rage would have been immense. But mostly we were just confused. So we get out, we start like making food for breakfast. We made toast and uh, we washed up and everything. And it goes right from GP2 coverage into the hour long NBC F1 pre race coverage. So we're listening to like Lee Diffie and Will Buxton and like all those dudes interview people and do the grid walks and everything. And um, I'm like, what if we go into the track and I wonder if to go along with this on the speakers, they're playing it on the one screen at Watkins Glen. So my only complaint about Watkins Glen, the whole track has one screen. You can only see it okay, from how one did, turn. How does that work? Hmm? Yeah, that, that... No, it was annoying. I think it's because the race was kind of a last-minute thing. Like, they should have more yes, for next year, yeah. but yeah, they didn't have them at anywhere except the Jackie Stewart Grandstand, which luckily was where we were. But there's a bunch of picnic tables set up below the Grandstand overlooking the screen. So we just went there and watched Monza from there. That was delightful. Look, to be honest, the, look, the start of Monza was oh, great. Oh, man, yeah, it was. I was like, oh, look at that Ferrari go, like, oh, oh, look at that Red Bull. Like, where's Lewis Hamilton? Oh, there's Lewis Hamilton. Like, woo. Yeah. But, uh. Nico Rosberg shoots off into the distance, like, RIP the rest of this race. Yeah, you know what annoyed me about it? I, and then you and I probably talked about this before. We've talked about it on, on the podcast, I'm sure, uh, in, in some way or another. The way that they talk about particularly the British, the British commentators and the British media and all of that, is, is it, it's very much, look, look, Lewis Hamilton did lose himself that race, you know. If he had left, if, if he had been in the position Nico Rosberg was kind of at the start of that race, there was a very good chance he would have led the whole race and won. Monza isn't a track that, whilst very fast, it doesn't lead to much overtaking. Had, it's not like Spa or something like that, He had like also that, never right? won that race before, so. Nico Rosberg? Yeah, yeah. But it, I find it, I find it kind of annoying and frustrating when the media, Nico Ro, Lewis Hamilton wins races, and then Nico Rosberg doesn't get beaten by Lewis Hamilton. Does that make sense? Like it, it it's not about Nico Rosberg winning. Like like Nico Rosberg did everything he had. The British media focus on yeah, the British. Yeah, which you know what, that happens, right? But when so much of what you experience as coverage, particularly in an English-speaking, as an English-speaking fan, um, because America doesn't, you know, Amer like you think of big English-speaking nations. You have, you have England, you have the US, you have Canada, you have Australia, yada, 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 right? England is really the only one of those nations that covers it in a full-on sense. It's, it's kind very of from much a England versus everyone. Whereas exactly, yeah. and when you are an English-speaking fan, you gather you, you the coverage you are exposed to is very English, you know, Anglo-centric. So particularly with Lewis Hamilton being an English driver, 
it very much comes across as you're watching Sky Sports F Hamilton featuring Hamilton. And and so what you come and so that I find it quite frustrating because I look, I will be honest, many of the races that Nico Rosberg has won where Lewis Hamilton has started on pole have been situations where Lewis Hamilton has screwed up. It hasn't been situations where Nico Rosberg has failed. Uh, or Nico Rosberg has overtaken him. But I think the other aspect of it also is, is Nico Rosberg hasn't really had any issues to the sense where he's been suddenly at the back of the grid. Like, we, we've seen Lewis Hamilton start at the back of the grid and come to second or third, but absolutely everything that could have gone right for him to get there went right in that race. You know, we haven't really seen a situation where... Nico Rosberg is 22nd because his engine has died and has had to fight back, at least not this season. You know, wait, and, and he's been in a situation where there's been safety cars and this is and that's to really, like, Lewis Hamilton did a great race uh, in Spa, I think it was. He came from 21st to 2nd, I think it was. And, and we saw, oh no, 20 to 3rd, I think, because I think Ricardo was 2nd. Uh, one or the other, they were he somewhere like He was still like on that. the podium. And yeah. Exactly, he came to a podium. But if there hadn't been the yellow flags and the red flag and all of that, we probably wouldn't have seen the same outcome. We would have seen probably Nico Hulkenberg on a podium, and I would have been like, yes, finally! Someday, someday we'll see this happen. Oh, my God. It's so close, and I'm just like... I'm so salty. Uh, Yep. Oh, uh, uh, no. No, salt. Well, yeah, no, I so, totally I totally agree with, and, you know, just regardless of my feelings about England in general and Lewis Hamilton in general, I do think that it is a little frustrating for, you know, English-speaking, non, you know, British people to have to deal with the coverage that comes out of England where it's just so England-centric. Like, I'm... Yeah. I also... Look, I mean, and you can't blame them because if you're an English broadcaster, your market is English fans, right? And and you know what? English fans really like Lewis Hamilton. And, you know, rightly or whatever, you know, like, they may be a bit crazy, whatever. You know, you, you cater to your demographic and your demographic likes Lewis Hamilton. Um, look, it was a really interesting start at Monza. The rest of the race was fast and boring. Um, literally the only other part of it that I really enjoyed, and I don't think you actually saw this on the main feeds, I think you only saw this on, like, I think it may have been a replay, or it was on, like, a driver cam feed, but Dan Ricardo plays a bit of cat and mouse chasing uh, Valtteri Bottas, finally gets him, gets the overtake, and basically starts laughing and doing the shaker, uh, or however they say it, shaker, shaker, in the car. So he's like driving through Monza with one hand on the steering wheel, doing the like doing the thing with the other hand, and you're just like, "This is peak Daniel Ricciardo." Like, like this is like I, I have always been a Daniel Ricciardo fan, but more and more, like this guy goes out, he drives, he has fun, he makes you laugh, he drinks out of shoes, he does this, like he is having the time of his life doing this, and he's managing to have the time of his life driving for Red Bull. Like, good on you, man. Like, proud of you. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm impressed that you haven't, like, not that I, look, I, do, I, do I think Red Bull crushes personality? Yes. No, I think that's McLaren. Oh, yeah. But. They crush souls. Yeah, yeah. do I think it's anyone? I think McLaren. Like, but I, I think Formula One crushes personality because there's so many, like, 
you have to think about keeping sponsors happy, keeping the media happy, all of these things that could really encourage you to withdraw any sense of personality. Like, look, Kimi Raikkonen was known as, like, like the Iceman because he's, you know, this and that, and he was famous for his lack of, like, but that was even a personality, and even that has withdrawn. He's just become, he's no longer, like, slightly bitchy and grumpy and all these things. He's just blank. You know, when I think Formula One does that, and Dan Ricciardo, I mean, my favourite thing was recently has been Dan Ricciardo versus the B. <laughs> yes, that was delightful. I was just like, you're a grown man, and you were, t- like, you were, like, running away from an interview because there was a wasp. I mean, like, wouldn't you? Come on, man. I would. Well, if it wasn't <laughs> on me, like, I, like I don't know. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not fucking around with that. That's not my, no. No. <laughs> no. But, look, that was, that was what it was. Um, we, we won't really talk about it because it's been a few weeks ago, but Spa was actually a really great race, and the thing I wanted to remark from Spa was did you see how full the stands were and how full the hills were and how amazing that was even if most of them were wearing orange for Max Verstappen like uh, whatever okay like he's he grew up in Belgium Belgium and the Netherlands are basically the same place like it was amazing to see all those people there and I was just like yeah also, things that were scary at Spa, the way that that headrest flew off Kevin yeah, Magnussen's that was, car. Yeah, that's not supposed to work like that, friends. Um, I was like, um... Let's not do that again. But do you know what was also scary? That you also realised that, that that Renault is the exact same colour as the yellow tyres. Because it's in the tyre barrier, and you're like, which... What is the, the car? car? Where What's is the, the car? The only thing I have to say, or that I, that I can think of, about that little headrest piece falling or flying off, is that having been in a two-seater indie car where they actually like gave you a Hans device and like strapped you into that that one of those sort of things that thing isn't really lodged in there that tight it's two pins yeah so i yeah. mean cuz i i don't know what it is in an indie car but i know in an F1 car it's essentially two steel pins yes. that's it um that's, I feel like that's more for your head going laterally than back and forth. That's yes. what the hands yeah. device is like. I, I don't think it's, yeah, the hands device is more safety yes. focused. So that's more just kind if of. If that a, headrest flies out forward, it's okay because you've still got the hands device to keep you from going forward with your head. Yeah, and I think a hands device also has a bit from side to side because if you're going, you know, but it's still just, I, I'd never seen an accident where it had flown like that, you know? And so you're a bit like, wow, this is, yeah. I like the part where he gets out and someone goes to help him and he like nearly like sideswipes the, the race help. And then it's like, oh, I, I, yeah, okay, I need to go that way. Carlos saying, I think it was Spa had an accident right at the start. Um, there was the whole stuff with Verstappen. There was debris, yada, yada, yada. I mean, we, we, we were in touch on that. It was just another race where... Um, one was like, Max Verstappen, maybe you need to work on some things like responsible driving techniques. I mean, yeah. I mean, look, I do Do I think he's the next Pastor Maldonado? No. Because most of his racing incidents have been, they're, they're more like, eh, you know, this person also contributed the idea that whereas Pastor Maldonado is like, that guy just drove into the side of someone with no, no one near him. You know him. what? That's not even true, though, because his whole last year... 90% of the racing incidents he got involved in were not his fault. 
Meanwhile, Max causes these racing incidents by. Oh, I was like, I was like, I don't know which person no, no, we're no, talking no, about. No. Pastor, we the, racing, with. the racing incidents that Pastor was involved with last year, most of them were either his car fucking up or someone else fucking yeah, him up. Look, I, I just Max, remember him Max, and Esteban Gutierrez. Yeah, that was two years ago. Um, the issue with Verstappen is that he's too aggressive. He goes for these moves, he goes for gaps that actually aren't there. Um, he's run Kimmy off the road, like, four times now. I don't know how Kimmy hasn't actually murdered him at this point. Um, I remember saying that to someone, I was like, if there is a fight, my money is on uh, Kimmy right Yeah, now. yeah. Against this puny little and child. It won't even be yeah. a fight. Max Verstappen will just turn yeah. up dead. Yeah. Turn up floating in a Finnish river somewhere. It'll be okay. Uh, but yeah, no, he needs to tone it down a little bit. Um, and yeah, of course, Lewis Hamilton has come out in support of him. While everyone else has said, uh, no, you're a punk-ass kid, like, please chill. I liked that Nicky Lauda was like, I'm going to have to go and have a talk to his father about him. And I was like, what part of you think is that his father is not one of the main faults in this uh, yeah. problem? Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, I'm going to go talk to his dad about talking to his son? Uh, pretty sure, uh, Joss Verstappen. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Joss Verstappen is like, keep doing it, Max. Like, win at all costs. Like, I can't say that he seems to come across as, like, a parent who's doing, like, a healthy, functional job of raising a well-rounded kid. So, Monza, Spa, let's talk about everything that happens not on track. Oh, yeah. We need to talk about Dancing with the Stars, because, oh, I am man. so here for this. Yep. Oh, my God. I am. Starts I Tuesday. do not like Dancing with the Stars, but I am YouTubing the shit out of everything that has to do with James Hinchcliffe, because I'm telling you, breakout personality of the season, like, everyone will realize he's adorable and hilarious, and they will love yep. him. That's, that's, he, he actually had Helio Castroneves on his podcast the other day, Helio being the previous winner of Dancing with the Stars, uh, and he was talking about how he's really hopeful that he has the international vote, because he's getting, he's gonna get Canada. Uh, his dance partner, I believe, is Australian, um, Yes, she is. Uh, and he was talking to his teammate about getting the Russian vote. And yeah, just on from there. Um, hopefully, his vote for me video is, is amazing, currently though. Monday when you're listening to this, uh, which means this airs tomorrow, which is pretty awesome. Um, I'm, I'm pumped. I hope that he wears one. I just want to watch him dance. Ring. I just want to see him dance. It's going to be great. I'm, he's just, I just, his video where he's like, hi, I'm IndyCar driver James Hinchcliffe. And I was like, I'm sorry, what is that voice? What is this? But it's great. Um, I'm all here for it. I can't wait to see it. Uh, what are they, Team Stop and Go? Yes. Hashtag Team Stop and Go. Hashtag I've team literally stop and go. never voted for Dancing with the Stars, but I'm going to vote early and vote often, and you should too. I should probably do it for the Canada right, exactly. vote and the yeah, Australian vote. This is vote. like you. This team is you. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. I mean, with like athletic talent in some way. I mean, that's fine. <laughs> so, uh, Hinch is on Dancing with the Stars. Everyone retired this weekend. Yeah, Jensen and Felipe Massa. That's pretty... Well, no, Felipe Massa has retired. Jensen Taking is... a sabbatical, which actually means he's retiring. He just doesn't want to make a big deal out of it. Which is fine. Yeah, it's also like he's retiring in case Fernando Alonso gets jack shit of everything <laughs> for the next season, at which point he'll be back. Yeah. But, like, uh, yeah. Basically, it's like if, if, if McLaren are still shit next year, 
then theoretically he may be back for 2018, which I don't, I don't think buy. it's going to happen. Like, Jensen is going to go and have a good time and, like, eat real people food. And run some triathlons. Like, in r- and, you know. Run some triathlons, hang out with his Playboy Bunny girlfriend, you know. Do whatever he wants to do. And then, like, the idea of going back from having that life where Jensen does what Jensen wants and back into the Formula One, I don't know. Like, yeah. if anything, he'll go, he'll take a year off and then he'll go and race WEC or something. It's like, what, eight eight races a year? Yeah, it's not a big deal. It's Yeah, it's pretty chill. Um, I felt kind of bad for Felipe Massa. Because it was like, here's my retirement. And then Jensen Button's like, also retiring. Like, let him have this. Can someone not take away from, like, first, first Lewis Hamilton took your championship. Now Jensen Button's taken your retirement. Can someone just let just Felipe let Massa, Felipe Massa have live? Something? Oh, my God. So the other thing is, like, too. Like, I'm surprised the Massa Mafia did not go out. Like, Jensen Button, you, you wronged yeah, us. We have been wronged. You're getting thrown in a river. Um, the other thing about Massa is that Williams is being real shady about it, saying that, you know, he's retiring on his own terms, blah, 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 blah. He is not no, retiring on Williams his own terms. is basically forcing him out, and he didn't want to deal with negotiating a contract with Renault, or I think there was one other team involved, too. Um, but yeah, Williams didn't give him the option to stay. Yeah. So he's... I mean, if you're Felipe Massa and you had option for driving next year, are two teams whose cars are not as good as Renault the Williams? Renault is supposed like, to be I'm better next year. It. Renault is supposed to have a massive yeah, but... engine upgrade for next year. So... Well, I want to hope so, because currently they're terrible. I think they're second last, aren't they? The only person with less points than them is... that's this year, and the massive, like, regulations change is coming up next year. True. So, True. Renault is there looking is that. to be on track for that, which is why he was considering signing with them. Um, but no, but no. We, we, we see this empty seat now. Uh, obviously, Stoffel Van Dorn is taking the seat. This is kind of interesting because Stoffel Van Dorn came out or was quoted being like, you know what, like, I'm not being a reserve driver again. And someone was like, oh, you should be thankful for what you get. I'm like, no, that's not how F1 works. Like, this is stupid. Like, this kid has earned a spot. He's done everything that they want. And if they tell him once more to sit around and wait, like, he's well within his rights to go and find himself somewhere else to drive, right? You know, we see, um, we saw Kevin Magnussen faced with the same situation. He drove a year, well, not the same situation, but he spent a year as a reserve driver. And they were like, yeah, so he was like, I'm up by, I'm, I'm, you know, obviously. I'm going off to Renault, but, like, Stoffel Van Dorn has done everything they asked him. He went out and won GP2. He's done super well in Super Formula, racing for my favorite team name, the something Dandelion. Like, that's brilliant. And so the very next day, uh, we see Jensen Button retires or goes on sabbatical, yada, yada, yada. Um, Stoffel Van Dorn is now the new driver. We see all these photos, which is basically looks like Jensen Button, the proud father, handing his seat to Stoffel Van Dorn. And then we see the most hilarious tweets, or tweet from Fernando Alonso, which is clearly a subtweet to someone. I don't know who it was, but like there are very few drivers that throw shade on Twitter. Like Fernando Alonso like, throws shade on Twitter. Somehow it's like vaguely incomprehensible Spanish sometimes, which I love. Yeah, well, you're like, I think I know what this means, but I don't quite know who you're doing this to, but okay, let's go with that. So, um, obviously, Stoffel Van Dorn is taking the seat left by Jensen Button and McLaren, uh, but we have an empty seat still at Williams, which leaves us, A, 
Do we see another driver from the grid move into that seat? Because Jensen Button was rumoured to be the person going to the seat. It's not Jensen Button. Do we see someone else in the grid? Do we see fucking oh, Checo Perez? Do we see Hulkenberg? Or, which, and I, I don't think either of those are things. Or, do we see Alex Lynn take that seat? Or, do we see Lance Stroll, the super rich Canadian? It's probably going to be Lance Stroll. And hey, you're going to get a Canadian on the grid. So it's ridiculous and it's silly, and that's what we kind of love about Formula One. I, mean, I guess. But Sarah Connors, you're an expert on IndyCar, and you need to tell me what's happening with their oh, silly dude. season because there is a lot of There's, silliness. Like you think F1 silly season is silly, and then no one ends up moving anywhere. Uh, in IndyCar, there could be like six or seven seat changes, or there could be literally none, and no one really knows what exactly is going on. Um, I think it's going to be one of the more ridiculous off-seasons we've seen. First of all, a rumor popped up at Watkins Glen that Sebastian Bourdais, who is currently the only driver for KVSH Racing, is going to move to Dale Coyne, who currently run the 18 and 19 cars. 18 is Connor Daly currently. 19 has been rotating between, you know, everyone. Pippa Man drove a couple races, Gabby Chavez, uh, Luca Filippi. Um, so yeah, Bourdais might go to Dale Coyne, which leaves an open seat at KVSH, which God only knows what they're going to do. Um, you've got Andretti, who need to re-sign Munoz and Rossi. They've also talked about shifting Marco Andretti to the Brian Herta Andretti seat, which is the current Rossi seat, and just having them switch garages... Which they clearly are not doing for Sonoma, so that would be a next year thing. Um, there's no word on whether they would switch car numbers or just like move the mechanics and engineers between garages, or whether they'll even re-sign Rossi and Munoz at all. Um, there have been a million and one rumors about where Joseph Newgarden is going to go. He, he, you know, he currently drives for Ed Carpenter Racing, small team, limited budget. He's done a fantastic job with that car, regardless of all of that. Um, the rumor is that he might go to Penske. There have been rumors about him going to Chip Ganassi. There was even a rumor last weekend that Andretti wants to make an American power team. And I'm, like, not even making this up. Like, this is not even me being like, oh, my God, America, let me wave all the flags. Um, Andretti, yeah, it was said that Andretti wants to do Hunter Ray, uh, Andretti, Newgarden and Rossi as their four-car team and just do, like, Team America World Police, which would be ridiculous. But also, Carlos Munoz is really good. Why would you just let him go? Um, you know, the two... Yeah, that doesn't make... Carlos Munoz is your Andretti... Points leader, Correct me if I'm currently. wrong, but he's your points leader for Andretti yep. by a considerable margin. 30 points. He could lose that at this next race. But... Well, okay, double points. Yeah, yeah. I'm... I'm I hate double points. I do so too, much. but also you have to work with what you've got. So, oh yeah, yeah completely. I don't know. Um, You're all in the same double point situation. Exactly. So there's also, uh, you know, that leaves open seats and spaces at Ed Carpenter Racing. You know, they just signed Spencer Piggott for half a season. Does he get a full time ride next year? Ed Carpenter has already said that he's going to do ovals in the twenty car. So if Joseph goes to another team. Do you give Spencer Piggott the 21 car and then sign someone to do road courses with Ed? Would it be maybe Juan Pablo Montoya? 
Like, what do you what do you do? There's just like so many moving pieces. How long do you think one Pablo Montoya is gonna keep racing for? Because oh, this man, man just he's, he's like, a powerhouse. He like, just keeps still going. here, still here. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, and you know, aside from the few races this year where he's just completely fucked up, um, you know, he's still competent in a race car. So, yeah, there's him. There is Tony Kanan, who is gonna retire sooner rather than later. Um, there's also Jack Hawksworth at AJ Foyt that doesn't have a contract for next year, and he's done pretty terrible this year, so I don't anticipate him getting re-signed. Max Chilton needs to re-sign at Chip Ganassi. I'm pretty sure he's going to do that because he's been decent this year, and he brings a lot of money to the table. I was about to say, and dollar dollar yeah, million. Not that Chip Ganassi really needs the funding, but the it doesn't hurt. No, but it's no. It doesn't hurt if you can get it from a driver that is competent enough to do you instead. Right, exactly. There's also Rahal Letterman-Lanigan. You know, they were talking the last couple weeks about what the finances needed to run a second car would be. And considering who the owners of that team are, they could afford it. So if suddenly another RLL car pops in, you've got a whole nother seat that you could possibly fill. Um... And yet, at the same time, you could have the entire Penske lineup stay the same, the entire Chip Ganassi lineup stay the same, the entire Andretti lineup stay the same, which basically prevents any significant movement throughout the field, except maybe AJ Foyt's drivers switching out. Um, so you- I was going to say, somewhere Sage Karam is just sitting and waving yeah, sadly. Yeah, at like an in- at the. It's like hello. I feel so bad for that kid, but like I'm over I, here. Just anyone I just, love me? I don't love know. Me? I no. don't know. You could see one or two moves. You could see like the whole field kind of shuffle up a little bit, and as soon as that first domino falls, you're going to see all of them fall. So. It's really just a matter of waiting to see what happens. And the first test is going to be, I believe it's in January. So we've got a while to go before they need to solidify, you know, what's going on. Um, the fact that there was a rumor about Bourdais going to Dale Coyne is hilarious because Dale Coyne never announces his drivers until like a week before he absolutely has to. So that's a little too early and I don't know how I feel about that rumor being actually true. But yeah, it was it was really funny because we found out about all this stuff like waiting in line for autographs at Watkins Glen. And suddenly there were all these rumors just like flying around and we were all like, I don't know what to do right now because I'm not at a place where I can read the internet significantly. And I don't know if any of this is even true. I mean, there's also R.C. Anderson. Like, where is he going to go? He's been really good. Whoever wins Indy Lights this year, we'll find out who that is on Sunday. They're going to get an Indy 500 drive, but that was Spencer Piggott last year, and he's ended up driving for most of the season. Um, Is that Indy Lights champion going to get even a partial season drive with someone? Like, there's just so many different aspects to it that it'll be super interesting to see what the grid looks like come March. Who knows? I don't. You don't. So, as you mentioned, the IndyCar season is wrapping up. I don't want it to end. I'm so sad. <laughs> okay, so Sarah doesn't want to talk about this, but Sonoma next weekend, uh, not this weekend, the weekend after, is the last race of the IndyCar season. We will potentially see a champion. Well, potentially, well, we, will we will see, see a champion. See a champion yeah, we will <laughs> see a champion. It will potentially be Simon Pagano, who loves creeps. He loves creeps. Um, so, Sonoma, Sonoma's going to happen. It's, as you said, the home race of personal podcast favorites, <laughs> Alex, uh, Rusty. Can we call him a friend of the podcast? Friend! 
friend of, friend of the good girls, Alex Rossi. Um, we are in uh, Singapore in F1. Oh, yeah. So we have a night race out in Singapore, which is going to be at some ungodly time of no, the morning, I because think. because it's a night race. It'll end up being at 8 I'm, I'm literally, I have a button that tells me what time the race, oh, it's an 8 a.m. Yeah, race. You, okay, it's so it's fine. <laughs> it's literally. There's just a part of me, I think, that's used to being Australian and being like, Why, God. oh, they're actually, the race is actually at a good time, I think, in Australia as well. Yeah. Anyway, it's at, uh, it's a 10 p.m. race in Australia. Anyway, what well, am I talking about? it's a night about? race I have no on idea. that time side of the world. It's basically I 12 hours I love night races. I love night races so I do too, but Singapore is kind of boring. The only thing is that... I love the fireworks yes. when someone crushes the finish line. Okay. That's my favorite. Um, so this is a track where the Mercedes cars have not tended to do very well. So Vettel won the race yep, last year. Singapore should be interesting. We will probably see a slightly different podium, which could be good. And uh, yeah, we'll see. See how this goes. I'm, I'm pretty excited. I like Singapore. It's, it's, it was... The first race, you know, we're um, about exactly a year removed from that wonderful morning when I woke up and Manor had signed Alexander Rossi to race for the rest of the season, and Singapore was his first race. And in his first race, do you know who he beat? He beat every British driver on the grid. Max Chilton. Because they all DNF'd. <laughs> I was like, well, Will Stevens. Oh, if one was definitely Max Shelton. No, it was Will Stevens. No. Oh, Will Stevens. That's right, because he took Max over Shelton Max Shelton. Max Shelton was in Indy Lakes See? last year. So he beat Will Stevens. That's right. Lewis DNF'd. Look, I can never remember what she Jensen Button's with. McLaren blew up. So. <laughs> well, that seemed to happen a lot America. to McLaren. America, he beat every British driver. When Hamilton's car died and he just slowed down, I was just like, if this happens in his first race, I'm just literally going to cry. And I did. And I did. And it was beautiful. I don't ask for so, much. Sarah Connors. What? <laughs> I do ask for a lot. I don't ask. No, that's, yeah, you not, do, that's not much. You do. Hey, you ask for a lot. And do you know what? Do you know what else? Do you know what people do? People ask us for a lot. We have some Ask TGG questions. And you are going to start asking... CGG these questions. Yeah, let's do this. Um, so we have, we do actually have some questions. If my tweet deck will ever load. Um. All right, cool. We got Joey, Joey of the Priuses on Twitter, who wants to know what was the best livery in IndyCar this year. Do you have an opinion on this? You should. I and I'll tell you what it should be. I do have an opinion of this, and it is the highlighter yellow um, Menards car. The Menards Yeah, car. I was like, it's... Look, <laughs> I enjoyed... I enjoyed Elio's uh, uh, Elio submarine, just for the pun. But that fluoro yellow, highlighter yellow, like... Oh, I would I would really enjoy Pippa Man's pink car more if it wasn't, like, Susan G. Komen themed. I'd be all over being a pink car. That would be my number one. I'd be like, that, that, yep, that one. Um... Yeah, that, that highlighter yellow Nars car was, yeah. yeah. Um, the Menards car was beautiful because when it crashed at Pocono, it was so bright and it was so sunny out that the wall turned yellow. Like, the sun shone on the car and the car shone on the wall and the wall turned highlighter yellow. It was beautiful. My favorite livery, 
My favorite livery actually didn't get used nearly enough this year, and I'm really disappointed about it. We saw it in St. Pete, and it was really, really freaking cool. Um, it is not the Napa car. As much as I love the Napa car, it's not my absolute favorite. It's like number two. It's maybe number two. Although I did like the Menards car, so maybe it's number three. Um, my favorite livery of the season was Joseph Newgarden's Brickyard car. Um, it was white with really faint, I don't know if you saw this, uh, like a faint outline of the brickyard all over the body of the car with gold side pods. It was beautiful. It looked awesome. Like, I know they usually, they usually run their, they usually run their blue liveries or like the green and gold, which I also really like the green and That's gold. That's very subtle. It's nice. I actually. Like the brickyard pattern is very subtle. Like I literally actually had to Google, I, I've Googled it and like searched, like link, yeah, Sarah, that's, I, there's no hope in seeing see that. that. So I have a little model of it and it's not very subtle on the model, but um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, the Fuzzies Vodka car. Um, they did that because they came out with a 100th running, like, limited edition bottle of vodka that was patterned just like that. Uh, and it, it was, in person, it was beautiful. Like, the bricks were super subtle, but in person, up close, you could see them really well. And it just, the execution was fantastic. Um, so that was my favorite livery. Um, I do have a special place in my heart for the Napa car, but it's, it wasn't my... What was your Aesthetically... Aesthetically, it's the not very car pleasing. was better. Yeah, yeah. So aesthetically, it's very sour. Or Banco I mean, de Brazil. Uh, I guess so. That's fine. Um, which three races would you show to a non-fan to get them into IndyCar? How would you sell the series to a non-fan in general? This is from friend of the podcast, Adam Johnson. Uh, we've both appeared. Have you appeared on Motorsport 101 yet? I have not been oh, on you, you will at some point. Um, I'm actually going to be on a live show with them come December, which is going to be a lot of fun um, over in England. But yeah, three non-races you'd show to a non-fan to get them into IndyCar. So three races from this oh, year? just three races in general. If, if they're this year, that's fine. I would show them... Well, my reference points is really this year, and I can only talk about races that got me into it. Uh, I would show them this year's Indy 500. I would probably show them this year's Watkins Glen because the kind of fuel saving and stuff made it kind of interesting and suspenseful. And it was, it, it was decently a very good race to watch. Um, I can really only contribute two, I think, because I've watched a lot of other races and I've enjoyed them, but they haven't been ones where I've been like, oh, this would convince me to, to watch this. Yeah, that's fair. I think I would show them this year, obviously this year's Indy 500, uh, this year's Texas was crazy, and I think aesthetically, like, the sparks and everything were super nice to look at. Um, and then, oh, I guess that's, I can't show them three ovals, because I was also going to say last year's Iowa, because that was just hilarious. Um, last year's Barber was really good. Uh, oh, last year's Mid-Ohio was good, too, though. This year's Barber was good. I just, I don't know. I guess... If it had to be three from this year, it would be Barber, Barber, Texas, and Indy. Especially because um, of the whole story behind Texas and, like, the delay and the, the different setups of the car and everything. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, those would be mine. And then I could swap out Barber for last year's Mid-Ohio. Barber this year was really fun because of the whole, like... Here's Graham Rahal with his front wing hanging off, and he's using all his push-to-passes to not lose this race. And it was magical. So, I don't know. Those were good. 
Um, how would you sell the series to a non-fan in general? Uh, if it's a non-IndyCar but also motorsport fan, I mean, I would just show them the ovals and just show them the, you know, the technique that you have to use on an oval, um, as well as us still having road courses, which are very similar to other series. Um, and I would also do what I did for everyone and just show them all the dumb videos that IndyCar does. Like, yeah, I was going to say, Sarah Connors, I think you did a better job of convincing me to watch IndyCar by not showing me any races. You just sent me stupid video after stupid video, and I was like, these guys are nuts! Let's watch them race cars! You bust out the Iowa Corn video. You bust out the Joseph and Hinge going to space camp video. You bust out Joseph singing... Sia's alive and dancing around with a bunch of balloons. Mostly just Joseph Newgarden <laughs> doing shit. Gets people... Hinch deciding to get in a dog Hinch in the dog wash. You got Simon, Joseph, and the Scarves video. You've got Simon the making Scarves video is great. You've got um, the IndyCar off-season videos, which are all absurd. The uh, season opening, like the schedule announcement from last year where Joseph and Connor Daly dress up as the Anchorman guys. Um, you know, the list is endless and like the stupider the video, the more people you're going to get into this series because it's like, it's not gimmicky because it's just ridiculous. Um, and it's a lot of fun and it works. It gets the job done. It does. It's very effective. All right. Third and last question. I don't have an answer to this one. I was like, I'm not the one introducing people to IndyCar, but it would be (laughs) much the same way. It would be much the same way that you did it. So, okay, here is the last question, and this is the most in-depth one. What do you think it will take for motorsport to develop more racial slash ethnic diversity? Role models, specific programs, etc. Um, that's really tough, because if you look at IndyCar, there are actually, there is actually a pretty decent amount of diversity. You know, you've got a lot of South American drivers. Um, you don't have any black drivers, which you do in F1, you've got two. But yeah, I mean, what I really like actually from NASCAR is they've got the NASCAR diversity program. I was about to say, that was, that was what I was going to yeah, say. Yeah, I, I really wish that, I wish that this were, this were a thing that IndyCar would do. Um, or even F1. I mean, F1 has so much money. Like, why not divert a little bit of it into this? Uh, where yeah. you you and, and fund you fund some of these drivers that maybe wouldn't have gotten to the top otherwise um, to make it more diverse. NASCAR does it really well because NASCAR's program is actually encouraging diversity in two aspects. It not only provides pathways and it specifically aims at women in motorsports, uh, particularly also Hispanic engagement with motorsports because of the large Hispanic population in America, and also then you know like. Uh, greater ethnic diversity you know they have uh black drivers and and they kind of actively encourage those kind of diverse racial uh racial and and gender groups but they also extend that to the team itself so staff interns mechanics engineers they actually have looked at it rather than just focusing on introducing diverse driving drivers they've looked at it in a whole structure and tried to help start addressing the entry level, the the bars to entry from from these drivers, and which is a great uh, drivers like other other roles, which is also a really great thing because people will hire you into motorsports if you have experience. And this program has suddenly created fifteen jobs or twenty jobs for people with diverse backgrounds to give them that experience. Do you know what I mean? Yep. Yep. 
And actually, uh, I think I think it's a I think right there. I believe it's called Rev Racing, um, and it's the NASCAR for Diversity program. And I think it's exemplary. And I think it does those two things. It is a development pathway and a program for people to participate in. Um, but it's also uh, providing role models. Yeah. Yeah, it's a support system. Yeah, and those role models system. can then go on. Yep, yep, exactly. So I don't think it's the be-all, end-all, but I think that if those, if other racing series had a program like that in place, that would be a good start for sure. No, I, I completely agree. I think, um, now this was, I believe this question came from the Motorsports Sisterhood. It did, which shout out to you guys. Thanks for listening. Yep. Hi, guys. Um, I, yeah, look, I think that's, as, as we both said, Formula One and IndyCar have a little bit of money, and we, you know, um, we look at look at the Mazda. Mazda Road yeah. to Indy. Uh, F1 or IndyCar doesn't have a lot of money. Uh, it has less money than NASCAR. No, 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 no. Yes, but you also look at the fact that let's look at the Indy, the the Mazda Road to Indy pathway. We're talking about a three tier pathway with one female driver who has missed races this year because she cannot financially afford to stay in the series right so if we had a program you know, like this and to if we look at her. yeah and we look at formula one whose gp2 gp3 pathway currently has one female driver one female driver you know there there's and i look i i don't know off the top of my head what the diverse makeup of these series is obviously indycar has a higher percentage makeup when we talk about latin uh Latin South American drivers participating in it. And Formula One has a diverse, more diverse makeup because it is a more globalized sport. And I think that kind of feeds into IndyCar, incidentally, because open wheel racing is a sport that is a larger. Open, open wheel racing has a larger participation base participation basis from different countries and continents so you're looking at something that has like it has a reasonably diverse backing but it's still there's still a lot of rich semi-white guys yes exactly so yeah both of them have a long way to go um i think it's it's weird that nascar is the leader on this and i've said this before not on this podcast but like Good on them for, you know, putting together a program like this in a sport that's not really known for being the most. Um, I think that's also because its problem with the lack of ethnic diversity and, and diversity itself is probably more evident. Yeah, in that is a good point. NASCAR good because, point. Uh, because of its because NASCAR is an American sport. You know, like yep. NASCAR is an American sport by participating in by people with a bit of money. It's a bit like hockey in that sense. Yeah, that's true. You know, and so that affects the pool of people participating in more than, you know, South America has a ongoing uh, open wheel circuit in multiple elements and things like that. So that does affect it, but it's still, it's still a remarkable program. I'm a big fan of the, the Drive for Diversity program they have, and I, I follow it quite closely along on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same. That's good. Yeah. So... Are we asked TGG out? I think, yes. I have to go in my head how many Gs there are in our name. TGG. Like it's the grid girls. TGG. TGG. Yes. Two Gs. That's, all, our, T- that's Gs. all the questions we have for today. We will be back after next weekend because we've got, obviously, Sonoma and Singapore. Um, okay. I was like, next weekend? Oh, the, yeah, yes. yeah. The weekend because right now when people are listening to this, probably on a Monday. Monday. Yeah. 
Uh, next weekend, I will be devastated because probably... Well, I mean, IndyCar will be over. Um, F1 will not. So we still have races to watch. We still have stuff to do. We still I think have stuff there was to another about. six races? Yeah, something like that. It's fine. Yep. I'll, be, I'll just be yeah, sad the US Grand Prix, they're in Brazil, they're in Abu Dhabi. Oh, God, that's right. They are got to go to Japan. They're in Singapore. At the, mo- the, the next race is in Singapore. Mm-hmm. We may do some sort of live segment from the USGP because I will be there. Um, but we'll figure that out at that point. So, Sarah Connors, for another week or another round of The Grid Girls, I'm Saskia Stewart. You are still... I'm Sarah Connors. You, yeah, yeah, I am. People should know that by this point, because that's all you ever call me. Sorry. It's fine. It's fine. Don't make Terminator jokes. I've never seen the Terminator. Oh my god, what?